Unsolved, Unbelievable, and Unjust, a podcast where we dive into the most chilling of all cold cases and take a look at crimes with facts that are so crazy that they are, well, unbelievable. And lastly, we examine instances where the justice system has terribly failed us. I'm Ashley, your host, and thanks for tuning in. fellow true crime lovers, and welcome back to another episode of Unsolved, Unbelievable, and Unjust. This is the very first unjust episode of the series, and I'm very excited. And this week, we are really starting off with a big unjust case. We are going to talk about the absolutely horrifying injustice that took place in 2009. This is the case of Robert H. Richards IV. Now, just because uh, there isn't a lot of information available about this case. It's going to be a little bit of a shorter episode. However, it's an extremely important case to talk about. The injustice that took place in this case is absolutely disgusting. But next week, we'll be back to a regular length episode, so don't worry about that. So before we go into the episode. I'm going to start off with a graphic content warning. And I apologize also for not giving you guys these in the past, especially for the last episode that we were talking about, the Cleveland abduction episode. That was pretty graphic. So I apologize if anyone um, was offended or disturbed by what they heard there. And in the future, I will give a content, graphic content warning, sorry, at the beginning of each episode if um, it's applicable. So this episode contains, unfortunately, discussions of the sexual abuse of children. Um, I won't go super into detail about it because, I mean, it's disgusting and nobody wants to hear that. But we do discuss it a little bit because it is part of the case. So I'm going to give you a warning about that right now. Okay, so we're going to start off by talking about who exactly Robert H. Richards IV is because... If you're like me, before this case, I've never heard of this individual in my life. So Robert H. Richards IV is an heir of the DuPont family fortune, which is currently valued at $14.3 billion. Or sorry, that was back in 2016. So how did someone become an heir to that much money, you may ask? Because you know, I certainly did. <laughs> Well, this fortune spans back several centuries and actually originates in France before the French Revolution. So Robert's ancestor, Pierre Dupont, was a wealthy publisher and economist and also an advisor to Louis XVI, the last king of France. Pierre's son, Eleutherie Irene Dupont, also known as E.I., was a scientist who worked on improving explosives at a gunpowder factory in France. After Louis XVI was executed, the DuPont escaped to United States because let's be real, being an advisor to a king that was just executed is probably not the best position to be in. So they moved to the United States and founded the DuPont Company in Delaware, uh, which continued to produce gunpowder and explosives and other things like that. 
Um, so they turned the DuPont company into somewhat of an empire. Years later, the company expanded from making gunpowder into making chemicals and automotives as well, and the ex- company just completely exploded. I mean, the business exploded, not the company, which you know, could be confusing because they were a gunpowder factory, but the business exploded. As their fortune grew, so did their power, and the DuPonts quickly became the most influential family in Delaware. Quick fun facts about the DuPont family that I couldn't help myself but including. Robert Richards is the relative of John DuPont, who murdered an Olympic gold medalist wrestler David Schultz in 1996. John DuPont was convicted of third-degree murder and ordered to attend psychiatric treatment in Pennsylvania's Crescent State Correction Facility. He died in jail in 2010 at age 72. Even wilder than being related to a murderer. Are you ready for this? Pierre DuPont, um, the former advisor to Louis XVI, who fled to the USA with E.I. DuPont, well, he was pretty, um, how do I put this, fucked up in the head because he was quoted as saying um, at some point in the 19th century, the marriages that I should prefer to our colony would be between the cousins. In that way, we should be sure of honesty of soul and purity of blood. Well, they may have achieved purity of blood, but as you're about to see, they got about as far away from purity of soul as you can possibly um, get. Pierre Pervert Dupont got his wish, and seven sets of cousins within the family married over the next few decades, thus producing generations of Duponts born through incest. Several generations later, part of the family noticed that the inbreeding was producing, producing, quote, freaks. Hmm, I wonder why. But other family members kept on going on marrying their cousins, so I guess half of the family liked him freaky. Robert Richards also came from the prestigious Richards family, who co-funded um, the corporate law firm Richards, Layton, and Finger. So basically, Robert H. Richards IV is just wealthy as fuck. He's from two extremely prominent, well-off families in Delaware. Robert married Tracy Berg, who took his last name, and the two reside in a 5,800-square-foot mansion in Grenville, Delaware, right up until the start of our case. So you guys are probably like, all right, cool. Thanks for the history lesson, but what the fuck did this guy do? Well, the reason I had to start with his background and his family's money and all of that good stuff is because, unfortunately, his fortune plays a huge role in the injustice that we are going to dive on into right now. In October 2007, Robert Richard's daughter, who was only five years old at the time, told her grandmother, Donna Berg, about how her father touched her. The daughter, whose name is not publicly known, told her grandmother that her father told her it was, quote, our little secret. But she also told her grandmother that she did not want her father touching her that way anymore. Donna immediately told her daughter, Tracy, and they took the child to the pediatrician where she detailed the assaults. After doing so, they then called the police. 
According to the arrest warrant, Robert's daughter told the investigators that he had molested her in her brother and her mother's bedrooms. She claimed that he would penetrate her with his finger while masturbating. Obviously not in those terms because she's only fucking five years old, but that's basically what she said. This started when she was only three. So he's literally like the worst fucking type of human being alive. Three years old. And this continued obviously until she was five when she told her grandmother about this. So for two years, this poor girl was going through just traumatizing experiences at the hand of her father. Robert's wife, Tracy Richards, told the police that Robert had admitted to abusing his daughter when she confronted him about it and said, quote, it was an accident and he would never do it again. I mean... I am a clumsy, accident-prone person, okay? I get in accidents on a regular basis. Um, I don't think it's possible to accidentally finger your fucking daughter, all right? Like, that is not an accident. You don't just slip and fall and end up doing that, okay? So after this was reported to the police... Richards was arrested and he was released um, pending trial on $60,000 bail. In December 2007, a grand jury indicted Robert Richards on two counts of second degree rape. If convicted, he would face a mandatory prison sentence of 20 years as each count of second degree rape carries a mandatory minimum sentence of 10 years. Following his arrest, he retained a very well-known and successful defense attorney, Eugene Morer Jr. Robert vehemently denied his daughter's allegation, so much so that he agreed to take a polygraph test. So he admitted everything to his wife, and then to the cops, he's like, no, 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 that's crazy. So crazy that I'll answer all your questions under a polygraph test. Well... Good thing he's a fucking moron because he failed that polygraph test. And when he was told that he failed, he confessed to sexually assaulting his daughter and immediately claimed that he was mentally ill and in need of psychiatric treatment. So he went from, no, no, I would never do that to, you know, yeah, I did it, and, but I'm sick. It's not my fault, which is just bullshit. In June 2008, Defense Counsel and Newcastle County Prosecutor Renee Hryak agreed on a plea deal. Robert Richards would plead guilty to one count of level four rape, which carried no mandatory prison sentence. Uh, Robert's lawyer, Eugene Morer, stated it was more than reasonable, an enlightened plea deal. Fast forward to January 2009, and Robert Richards appeared in front of Superior Court Judge Jan Jordan for sentencing. So fourth-degree rape, which he had pled guilty to according to the plea deal, can carry up to a 15-year sentence in prison, although the sentencing guidelines recommend zero to two and a half years for this crime. So that's a big step down from the mandatory 20 years that he was originally charged with. However, despite the up to 15-year prison time that is allowed, Renee Hryak, the prosecutor, only sought probation. Why? She has refused to say since then because what fucking justification can you give 
for only seeking probation for a man who admitted to raping his five-year-old daughter from the age that she was three. She repeatedly denies all requests for statements regarding her decision. Um, She just flat out will not talk about this, and I feel like it's because she's fucking ashamed. Richards was sentenced to level three probation for eight weeks, which requires weekly check-ins with a probation officer. Following those eight weeks, he was sentenced to level two probation for eight years, where he would only have to report to a case officer once a month. Are you fucking kidding me? Once a month. This man admitted to raping his daughter, and he's only being checked on once a month. This is completely outrageous. And what fucking kind of message does this send to his daughter who will have lifelong trauma because of this? And he is just free to live his life in his fucking 5,800 square foot mansion while she will suffer the consequences of this. Fuck you, Judge Jordan. You're a piece of shit. He was also ordered to pay a whopping fine of $4,400 to the Delaware Violent Crimes Compensation Board. Um, Being that he is a literal billionaire, I'm sure this was nothing to him. He could blow his nose with his money on an everyday basis and it wouldn't matter. In explaining, or should I say justifying, the sentence given to Robert Richards, Judge Jordan said that Richards, quote, would not fare well in prison and noted that child molesters are normally targeted by other inmates. Do you know why that is, Judge Jordan? It's because even criminals, people who have committed their own crimes, know that people who molest children are the worst type of people on this earth, and they deserve prison justice, okay? They don't deserve to be living their days in their 5,800 square foot mansion, being checked on once a month, and living off their fucking trust fund. So Judge Jordan said that he would not fare well in prison. Well, keep in mind, Robert Richards is six foot four and about 275 pounds. So, you know, he can take care of himself. So because of this sentence, Robert Richard sorry, <laughs> because of this sentence, Robert Richards will not even go to jail unless he violates his probation. Instead, he was ordered to complete inpatient treatment at a Massachusetts facility, but to this day, he has failed to do so. And apparently, his probation officer, who sees him once a month, just doesn't give a shit that he's ignoring this mandatory treatment that he was ordered to attend. The one good thing that the judge did in her decision was prohibit him from contacting any children, including his own. In her closing statement, Judge Jordan stated, quote, I have concerns about this because arguably you should be in jail for what you did. I'm sorry? You have concerns? Well, good thing it's your fucking decision whether he goes to jail or not. But anyways, I digress. The rest of the quote is, but I think you have significant treatment needs that need to be addressed and you have very strong family support aka lots of money. So the Coles note version of her closing statement is basically, I know you should be in jail and you know you should be in jail, but 
you say you need treatment and you're rich as fuck. So here we are. So there were understandably a lot of people who were shocked and pissed about this decision. Public defender Brian J. O'Neill, who knew Judge Jordan to be a fair judge over the year, was extremely surprised by the sentence handed down and the judge's reasoning and stated, quote, it's an extremely rare circumstance that prison serves the inmate well. Prison is to punish, to segregate the offender from society, and the notion that prison serves people well hasn't been proven to be true in most circumstances. So I don't even know what to say about that because absolutely he is 100% right. Um, so how the fuck did this sentence come about in the first place? The only reason that I could see anyone in their right mind thinking that this is a fair sentence is somebody who was paid off. Presidential candidate Joe Biden's son, Bo Biden, was the attorney general for Delaware at the time, and he was the attorney general who originally charged Richards with two counts of second-degree rape. When he was asked to justify why the charge was dropped to fourth-degree rape, he claimed that the case against Richards was weak and would likely have lost at trial. <clears throat> um, he literally admitted it. Joe Biden's chief deputy... Ian McConnell said that in retrospect, he wishes that Renee Hryak, the prosecutor, would have sought jail time. Well, retrospect doesn't do anyone any fucking good, sir. Jason Miller, Bo Biden's spokesperson, said that Biden had no idea about this case when he was asked why Biden would allow such a lenient sentence to go through. And, you know, what a convenient excuse. He had no idea. So according to Ian McConnell, only Renee Hryak and her supervisor, Alan Texter, oh, sorry, Allison Texter, were part of the plea deal decision. Somehow, this case did not receive any media attention at all until March 2014, when Tracy Richards filed a civil lawsuit against Robert Richards, seeking punitive damages for the assault, negligence, and intentional infliction of emotional harm on their daughter, and their son. When the media reported on the original charges and the sentence came to light for the first time, there was understandably public outrage. According to the affidavit sworn by Tracy in support of the lawsuit, Richards expressed concerns that he would fail a second polygraph test that he had been ordered to take in April 2010. Richards reportedly told his probation officer that he was worried that he had assaulted his son in December 2005, but that he wasn't sure. So he's trying to play the classic, I don't remember card. Like, own up to your shit. You know what you did. On the plus side, he promised that whatever he did to his son, he would never do again. Go fuck yourself. The lawsuit alleged that the abuse against his son began in 2005 and lasted for two years. In addition, the lawsuit claimed that Richard's daughter has repressed memories of the abuse that she suffered and that his son will li likely face long-term injuries. It did not specify whether they meant physical or emotional injuries, but it's safe to speculate that it could be both. On June 28, 2014, Robert Richards' attorney negotiated a settlement agreement with Tracy. However, the amount of the settlement was never released to the public 
But I hope that she got millions for those kids. No further charges were laid against Richards for the incriminating comments he made relating to sexually assaulting his son. The police claimed that they investigated the allegations in 2010, but there was not enough evidence to lay charges. So Robert Richards completed his eight years of probation in 2017, meaning he is free as a fucking bird right now. Um, Nobody's checking on him at all. And what is he doing with his life, you might ask? Well, let me tell you, he's unemployed and living off of his trust fund. He also rotates between his three different mansions. Now, this is just the absolutely most upsetting thing that I've ever heard in my life. This guy does some of the most despicable acts that a human being can actually do, and he is fucking living better than 99% of the people on this planet. That is the biggest injustice I've ever heard. So this case brings to light some of the inherent problems in the United States justice system and many other justice systems around the world. It's the fact that rich people are treated better than poor people. Now, the United States government incarcerates more people than any other country on this planet. Over 2 million people are currently in prison in the United States, and more than 7 million people are under some form of correctional supervision. And the vast majority of these people are poor, and over 60% of them are from racial and ethnic minorities. Now, I read a study from the Sentencing Project, which is a nonprofit organization devoted to criminal justice system reform. And they did a study on bias in the United States criminal justice system and stated that the United States, in effect, operates two distinct criminal justice systems, one for the wealthy people and another for the poor people and minorities. Now, in this study, they compared people with similar crimes and similar ethnicities. The only difference between the people they were comparing were their socioeconomic statuses. When they did side-by-side comparisons, they found that people who committed the same crimes and were from the same ethnicity were not treated equally. They found that in every single stage of the criminal justice system, the wealthy counterpart was treated far better and far less harsh than the individual from a lower socioeconomic status. Now, I'm sure that none of you will be surprised to hear the results of that study. And my fellow true crime lovers, you already know that there are plenty of infamous cases of rich people cheating the criminal justice system from Jeffrey Epstein, who ran a sex trafficking ring of underage girls for his wealthy and powerful friends, including former and current presidents and royals. And don't worry, we are going to dive into Jeffrey Epstein's case on a later episode. There's also Michael Jackson, who paid $200 million in settlement money to up to 20 families over the course of his career to keep molestation accusations quiet. And then there's R. Kelly, who was caught on video having sex with a 14-year-old girl, and somebody else even admitted to being part of a threesome with him and that girl, and he was still not convicted, okay? This is not new news to anyone, but that is why I am so excited about this portion of my podcast, 
to talk about the important cases and the problems in the justice system. Now, we are not only going to be talking about rich people in this section, we're going to be talking about injustices of all kinds. I'm already working on the next unjust episode, even though it is three weeks out, and I promise you guys it is going to be a good one, so look forward to that. I'm not going to tell you who it is yet, but I will say that it will be convenient timing with the election coming out soon. So that has been it for this week's episode of Unsolved, Unbelievable, and Unjust. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. Actually, no, I don't hope you enjoyed what you heard because this week's episode was fucked. I hope it pissed you off and I hope it gets you talking. Now, again, I apologize that this was a bit of a shorter episode. There was not a lot publicly known about this case. As I said, the initial trial was not even covered by the media. And as well, being that the case involves minors, Typically, there's less information out just for their protection, but it is a really important episode or a really important case to get out there, so I just felt like this story needed to be shared. Next week's episode, we will be back to normal length, and we're taking a look at a huge case, um, so get excited for that. I was going to release it on my Instagram, but I might as well tell you guys right now, since this week was a little bit shorter, next week we are covering the Long Island serial killer case. So get excited for that. If you're familiar with that case, you know that it is a good one. Lots of twists and turns, unexpected endings. So be ready for that. If you did like this week's episode, please like, like, subscribe, rate, comment, review, all of that good stuff. If you have an opinion on the case, I would absolutely love to hear from you. You can reach out to me at um, unsolved, unbelievable, unjust at gmail.com or on Instagram at unsolved, unbelievable, unjust. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and I'll see you guys next week.